It's a great joy to be here with you this morning, and I want to thank uh, you as a church family for joining other churches around the state today in prayer for the ministry of the Michigan Association of Regular Baptist Churches. There are almost 200 churches in our network all over the state of Michigan, and it's my joy uh, and privilege to share as I am this morning in several of those churches each year. And we look forward to gathering together in Grand Rapids tomorrow and Tuesday, and we'll be ministering there to ministry servants, not just pastors and wives and missionaries, but also uh, servants of local churches like you who will be gathered there to uh, be enriched and encouraged and to share together. And just want to share with you, I had uh, an enjoyable time watching the PowerPoint out in the foyer of uh, your ministry yesterday. We're actually going to be, there are four main uh, message sessions during the conference, and we're going to be looking at the four core values that uh, we have refined as a group of churches. And number four is this core value, engaging our neighbors. And wow, to have the opportunity to have so many, uh, hundreds of people coming through here yesterday and to have uh, almost 700 young people, children coming through and having, even if it's just a, a momentary touch point with you as believers in Jesus Christ is such a great thing. Now, I'm, I'm a little concerned about First Baptist because now you have all these ruts out in your in your field. And you don't want to be known in this community as the church that's in a rut. You know what a rut is, don't you? It's a grave with both ends knocked out of it. So you don't want that. You don't want to be known as a dead church. We want to be a church that's alive and vibrant and dynamic. And it's been my uh, joy to know several of your pastors over the years. Uh, one of your former pastors... Technically, right now is my pastor. Dan Curry is serving as interim pastor at the church that I pastored in Grand Rapids for 14 years, and he's helping them through a time of transition. And so, uh, we have a great uh, love for First Baptist Church here, and certainly I've been involved a lot with your leadership uh, during this time of transition, and we pray for you regularly. As, uh, since this is the uh, day of prayer for our association, and I knew that uh, you were going to be focusing on that during the worship time this morning, I thought it might be appropriate in this time of unique opportunity here in Mount Pleasant if I would take time for us to focus together on prayer and why it's so vital. Uh, we can do a lot of things in ministry, and certainly um, most things that churches do are important and significant. Sometimes we kind of get distracted and may not be doing the things that are most significant or most uh, uh, strategic in terms of what God declares to us in his word. But certainly what we're doing today is of utmost importance, and I would encourage you to join me in the book of Acts, because we're going to look at a few chapters, not uh, in detail, but just kind of in a survey form, and then we're going to zero in on one particular instance in the early church that I think is telling to us today as we seek to honor and glorify Jesus Christ in the ministry here at First Baptist in Mount Pleasant. I want you to just for a moment imagine with me trying to minister in a setting where your church is facing constant challenges. And some of those challenges may be due to government and governmental obstacles, um, religious factions that are all over, not just the region where you live, but uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the world that you live in that day. Imagine facing a world that is, that is just constantly becoming secularized, the whole focus on spiritual values and even what we might call generically religious 
values. It's just going by the wayside, and everything around us is secularized. Uh, very few people like you and me would be looking through a spiritual lens at the values of the world and how we could help the world deal with the challenges and the ills that are a part of life. And you might be prone to say, well, that sounds just like what we're dealing with in here in Mount Pleasant. And that may be true. But what I've just described for you is the first century church, the church that is being birthed in the book of Acts as we come to that particular book this morning. Like the ministry where you and I serve, the early church faced great obstacles and challenges that impacted every aspect of their ministry. Um, Government uh, infringement was something that threatened their religious liberty and expression. Um, Religious fanaticism and sectarianism were things that daily uh, were a part of overshadowing their desire to articulate the gospel message to the people around them. Secularism distorted this whole goal that they had in mind of pure religion that is undefiled. I think it's interesting that the very first letter actually written to the New Testament church in the book of James, there the apostle James is focusing primarily on what pure religion truly is. It's no accident that he's talking about that and writing about that as the Spirit of God directs him because that was what they were facing in the trenches as as a birthed and now growing uh, baby church there in Jerusalem. And so it's it's uh, something that the early church faced. It was like a, a tidal wave, a tsunami that was overflowing everything that they attempted to do. And, and let's just remember in context, they didn't have anything that we have. They didn't have the buildings and the facilities that we have that, to be able to have something like a trunk or treat. Uh, I mean, they didn't even have this to hold in front of them like we do. They didn't have the completed canon of scripture. They didn't have uh, collective gatherings all over the world that they could have as a part of their reinforcement like we do today as we share on a day of prayer, remembering that there are other sister churches just like us. There were very few churches at that point in time. Everything seemed to be against them. And yet, as you track the early church in the book of Acts, you don't find them in a fetal position in some corner of Jerusalem just kind of licking their wounds and saying, woe are we. You find a church that is flourishing. It is a dynamic church that is growing and alive and vibrant, even though everything seem to be against them. They're like, they're like people who are called as just basic ordinary people who really haven't even trained for it to, to go on a track of high hurdles that are increasingly high and saying to them, jump over these, you common ordinary person. And yet they were able to accomplish that and more. And we scratch our heads collectively and we say, why? Why is it? That they were able to do this. And even as we come to this particular book of the Bible, we come to a book that is commonly labeled in the 66 books of the Bible. You come to this and you read the title and it's called The Acts of the Apostles. And that's a, that's an accurate title to portray what's going on here. And we understand that, that book titles aren't inspired. What's in those books is indeed inspired of God. And so you would say yes as, as those who are uh, labeling the canon of scripture that we have before us today. 
today, you would say that would seem to be appropriate because what is going on in this particular historical book that's written by Dr. Luke is indeed uh, the acts of the apostles, the activities of those that Christ had raised up and had mentored himself to help lead the church into the church age that we are still a part of here today. And so it could be that. Some have said that it could be very easily that this book would be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because we understand that the Holy Spirit now is immersing people into the body of Christ as of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so what we see is the Spirit emboldening and the Spirit empowering of those who are called out to the track of life to uh, jump over high hurdles uh, as common ordinary uh, citizens and believers in Jesus Christ. But I would say to you on this day of prayer that we could very easily call this particular book in the New Testament the Acts of Prayer. Because you can't really write off or describe what is happening in the early church as collective groups of people are gathered together, first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then literally to the ends of the earth as it was known at that point. Without understanding that in every community setting of believers, the common denominator or denominators are the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are saved by grace, and we're certainly celebrating that. And as we anticipate Reformation Day this week, the 500th anniversary of Sola Scriptura and and all the other uh, five points of the Reformation, priesthood of believers is there because we see that the church is energized by the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 1, if you want to join me there, in verse 8, Jesus there, as he's about to ascend into heaven, says... When he, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses. Literally on on day one of the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit smacks the backside of that baby known as the church of Jesus Christ. And the baby uh, cries out with dynamic power. The word power there is the word dunamis from which we get the word dynamite. It's explosive in nature and they go out and pour out into the streets of Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost when people are gathered from all over the world and they bear witness to Jesus Christ. But please understand that they did not do that until they have gathered, as Jesus had said in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospel narratives, which tell us that Jesus says, before you begin to declare my glories, I want you to gather together in an upper room. And there were uh, a few hundred of them that gathered there. And it, we are told that it is there in chapter 2 and verse 1, while they are there praying that the Spirit of God comes upon them. I think Jesus is sharing something with you and me that is significantly important about why prayer is to be the priority of a local church that's going to be used greatly of God. Because our focus is not upon ourselves, it is upon God. It's not upon our abilities or our strategy or even our inabilities, which we often look at. How are we going to accomplish any of this? I'm just an average ordinary guy or I'm just a plain ordinary woman or, or I'm a, just a young person who's still trying to kind of find my way through life. How could I ever be used of God in these ways? Well, if we listen to ourselves in our own spirits, if we listen to our enemy who certainly is going to give us a laundry list of reasons why we can never accomplish anything, we will indeed recognize that this is indeed impossible. 
It's our Lord himself who earlier on in training those who be the apostles that we read about in Acts would, would look at them when they were questioning the same thing and coming up with the same questions that I've just listed hypothetically for us here today. And he would say, with, with men, this is indeed impossible. But, say it with me, but with God, all things are possible. So here's the average church. We face a challenge, no matter what it might be. We get a group of people that represent our body together, and we gather in a room like they did in Acts. But here's what we do. We, we strategize. We think of all the problems. We think of possible solutions. And then maybe at the end, we'll tack on a prayer, hoping that God will bless what has been our human futile attempts to try to figure out something that will never accomplish anything. I think Jesus was telling those who would follow him leading up to the day of Pentecost, people, if you want this to be blessed of God, if you want this to be truly of God, then it'll be important for you to be in the presence of God as you approach each and every opportunity as well as obstacle that you face. I really believe that's the key to what happened there. And even in our prayer gatherings, and I, please understand me, I'm not, I'm not being overly critical of this, but you stop and think about most prayer meetings, and most prayer meetings are organ recitals, right? You ever been to an organ recital in a church setting? Uh, a lot of our churches don't have organs anymore, but I would dare say that most of our churches still have organ recitals. Bless Aunt Jane's spleen, Uncle Bob's heart, uh, my friend Joe's liver, and, and it's not bad. I mean, I, I was in Ohio for a conference this past week, and I stayed an extra couple of days because my best friend in life and ministry was having cancer surgery early Thursday morning. We got up at 4.15 to drive to a hospital so that he could undergo surgery uh, early that morning. And and I want you to know, as his friend and as the pastor of that particular situation, even though he also is a pastor, I was praying for him. I was praying for the surgeon. And I'm not downplaying the importance of praying for physical needs. But if that is what monopolizes our time, praying for bodies that we've already been told are, are, are but dust and one day we're going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord and we'll be receiving glorified bodies. And if all we're praying is for the maintenance of, of bodies that God has already told us are broken down and we're missing the bigger picture of why we are here in Jesus Christ, we're in big trouble. And that is why I think it's important for us to appreciate the precedence of prayer even in establishing the church. In the early New Testament. After Acts chapter 2 takes place and the Holy Spirit of God comes upon them as he had promised, as Jesus had promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we see some amazing things that happens. Not the least of those is the fact that the guy who is probably the most bumbling of them all, who we see uh, the last time in the, in, in the uh, courtyards shrinking away from the fact that he had been a follower of Jesus as Jesus is about to be crucified. And even after Jesus' post-resurrection appearances with him, Peter is this bumbling, stumbling guy. He's the one who stands in the courtyard on the day of Pentecost and preaches the most powerful message that could ever be used to usher in the age of grace, the age of the church. And you say, you scratch your head and you say, how could that happen? It's still Peter, right? It's still this guy who is a bumbler. I can tell you what happened. He's been in that prayer meeting 
He's now been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think Christ uses him and as, a, as an example to us to say, God can use anyone, even those who have, who have proven themselves to be foolish in the past. If you trust in God, you trust in the empowerment of his spirit, and you focus upon him through prayer, he will use you in a great and mighty way. And Peter's proof positive of that in Acts chapter 2. And so he preaches, and we're told in verse 41 that, that on that day, with that message... There are thousands of people who come to Christ. And here is God's way of answering the prayer of the upper room in Acts chapter 2 here. It says they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Four things that every church needs to have as their dynamic. I just want you to notice it because prayer, empower, spirit-empowered prayer is what pulls this off to establish the first church of the New Testament, and I think is a model and a prototype for you and me today here at First Baptist. Notice that there was godly reverence. They devoted themselves together. They devoted themselves to God. With the apostles' teaching, through fellowship. That's not just getting together in a fellowship hall, drinking Kool-Aid or punch and stale cookies. That's not what fellowship is. It's truly being one with one another through the breaking of bread. Again, that's not gathering together to eat a meal. It's the communion. It's the Lord's supper. It's remembering why they are a body. It's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. He is our spiritual head and prayer. They regularly devoted themselves to prayer. And I would dare say that most churches that I know, especially in our movement, the MARBC and the regular Baptist movement, do very well on three of those. We don't very, do very well on the last one, the area of prayer, which is why we, every year, annually focus a day of prayer just to get back to the basics of why God could even potentially Bless us. We come before his presence. And so you read the rest of chapter 2 and you realize that they're out uh, with awe. There was awe that came upon every soul. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't it be great if when people are coming through the, the lot yesterday here on this church campus and they're engaging with you, they sense awe. There is an awe. There is a, there's a holiness. There's a power. There's a quivering in, in this group of people as they're handing out candy at a trunk and treat gathering because they recognize there's something unique and different going on in the lives here. It's not about the building. It's not about the parking lot. It's not about getting stuck in a muddy field. It's about the people and they're different and there's something dynamic dunamis powerful spiritually powerful in our lives it's a result of prayer so they had godly reverence there's true unity and fellowship that we see here there's strong worship and witness in their midst and god is blessing god's blessing not because they had their act together they didn't even have a building to meet in they did not have great curriculum. I mean, they didn't have anyone like David Platt cranking out books that would talk about ways in which we can be radical. You know what? They were just radical. Because God was empowering them because they trusted him and they prayed and asked for his direction and enablement for every moment, issue, obstacle, and opportunity of their lives. 
Now, let's fast forward in the text to chapter 4. And this is the rest of our time this morning, is looking at this particular incident. Because now they're out and they're preaching, and, and uh, in particular, we have two men, Peter and John, two of the apostles, two of the sent out ones. That's what the word apostle means. Jesus has sent them out. He sent them out in Jerusalem. They'll be expanding the horizons, as he has said, Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria to the ends of the earth. And these are the men that are called to help lead the charge. And they're charging in Jerusalem. And Peter's preached his message on Pentecost. They're going to the temple courts. They're, they're sharing daily. And there's a problem. The religious establishment doesn't like what they're saying because it is very antithetical uh, to what they have been preaching. The religious leaders begin to talk to the, to the secular government leaders and they say, do you understand that there's this large group that's beginning to collect here in Jerusalem? They are growing by the dozens, the scores, the thousands, because they're following this, this Jesus. They're, they're called now the way. They're the ones that are they're preaching about the true way to salvation through Jesus Christ. And so the, the rulers and the leaders call Peter and John in before them. They're arrested. And they're told, we'll let you be free as long as you don't preach. Now, that's not really what they say. You can preach, just don't preach Jesus. And don't preach him as the only way to salvation. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? We can talk about spiritual things. We can talk about unity spiritually as long as we don't say that there is only one way. That's what they were facing. Are you shocked? No, because the enemy is going to constantly be bringing this up. You can say that your Jesus is one way or that you found happiness in Jesus and your friend or neighbor or someone on the street will say, that's okay. But don't say he's the only way. And so they threaten them. You know, we'll let you go, but don't you dare do this. And Peter and John say, um... We can't do that. You understand, this is not about just a religious perspective. This is not about any kind of secular political platform. This is our lives. He is our lives. He is our hope. And we can't stop. Well, let them go anyway. As they leave, these leaders are talking about it. They said, what would make these two men who are obviously rather ignorant, they're fishermen, they don't know much, and I apologize because I know we've got fishermen here. It's just, you know, it's just by trade, you know, compared to all the different trades and businesses you could be involved in, you know, anyone can throw out a net, they thought, you know, in, in the society there. So how do these guys have such articulation and have such boldness and confidence in what they believe and say to us? And they realize, oh, they've been with Jesus. When's the last time someone thought that about you or me? What makes them different? Oh, yeah. They've been with Jesus. They're followers of the way. So they go back and they meet with those who are gathered in the Jerusalem church and they tell them exactly what's happened to them. They went back and verse 23, it says, they released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, speaking of the group, heard it, they got on their cell phones and they called their attorney who was very well equipped in Christian law and legal issues there in the country. And they said, we need help. We're being threatened. 
Our religious freedoms being jeopardized. They're telling us that they are putting a gag order on us. And what should we do? No, they did not do that. They caught upon God. It says there, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's their prayer. No organ background music. No gloom, despair, and agony on me, hee-haw type music, if you're old enough to remember hee-haw. No, why in the world did we sign up for this? And actually, frankly, I didn't sign up for this. I just wanted to be happy and content and pacified. Notice the preciousness of this prayer for the endurance of the church. By the way, I think this is a great model for us today. Because... I think the heat's going to get hotter, don't you? I think that things, even like an assembly like this, are, are fairly soon going to be something that we will not be able to take for granted. I think it's a great model for you and me. Let's notice the dynamics of their prayer burden. First of all, it was a corporate prayer. It wasn't just a few people gathered together. They all, it says, it literally in one accord... They heard it and they lifted their voices together to God. We tend to be more like another uh, very predominant, actually the largest religious group aside from the Muslims in the world. We tend to act like that. We, we say as, as, as biblical Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. But when it comes to something urgent... We call one or two people, right? They tend to be people who stand behind a podium like this and we say, hey, you need to pray. That's not what they did. They joined together in prayer because they realized that everyone who has been saved by the grace of God is a priest. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so corporately they gathered together. They didn't count on the strong uh, praying grandma, which every church has one at least. They didn't count on the new believers who tend to realize that they are very vulnerable, they're very weak, and all they can do is pray because they don't know anything else. Been there, done that. They gathered together and in one accord, together, they prayed. When's the last time you did that? Where you just spent a focus, not just for a part of a, of a gathering, whatever it might be, but just the entire time to do nothing but pray. Say, well, I'll feel rather awkward. I'm not sure what I will do. Well, just be there in the spirit of pray, prayer and see what God could do. It's not about you. It's about God. They prayed corporately. Notice as well, they prayed with a biblical perspective. They didn't come with their laundry list. Now, God, here's this name of this, this uh, person who threatened us. Uh, take him out. Here's this group that's uh, preaching uh, an, an anti-gospel. Wipe them out. Didn't do that at all. 
They just came to God. They said, Sovereign Lord. And they, they recognized, oh, by the way, God, we know this didn't take you off guard. This isn't something that happened uh, by happenstance. We know that this is part of your divine plan. And all we want to do is make sure that we're a part of that on the right side. Correct? That's what we want to know. That we are honoring God by that. So there's this biblical perspective. They even quote scripture. You know what? As I, the older I get as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the more I realize that God really isn't, is, isn't as concerned about my opinion. Because typically it's wrong and that's why I need to go to him. Because I need to have his mind, his understanding. And so I've just started praying scripture most of the time. Because I know that I'll honor God. It's not that I'm reminding him of what he's already said, but I want his spirit to help me to, in the context of what God is doing in our world today, understand my place in that, in that situation. And we need to do that at church corporately and understand our place in the world. I want you to notice that they, uh, they said, Lord, look upon your, on their threats, verse 29, grant to your servants a way out. They didn't, they didn't speed dial their lawyer. They didn't look at the, the, the law code of the day. They prayed for courage, not loopholes. They prayed, God, help us to stand even in the heat of opposition. They said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We know that most likely this could ultimately lead to our deaths. Or at least very strong persecution, most likely even imprisonment for the rest of our lives. God, if that's your will, let it be done. But in the midst of all that, please help us to remain strong, fervent witnesses for your glory. I'm not sure they knew exactly how pivotal this moment was because they are the first church in a long line of churches now stretching over 2,000 years. But I do believe they understood the significance of the moment for those who lived around them. And so they said, God, help us to be bold. Help us to be strong. And notice, ultimately, they pray, God, may you be glorified. May there be boldness that points to the fact that all these signs and wonders and everything that are being done are being done because the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, and he needs to be honored and glorified. That was their prayer. And that needs to be our prayer today. What I find most interesting about all that takes place isn't just what they prayed but how God answers. Look at verse 31 as we wrap up this morning. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one that, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among 
them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them, bought the, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And, and thus even Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, who was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's, it's, it's spiritually miraculous what happened as a result of that prayer meeting. And it's what needs to happen today in the church of Jesus Christ around this world. Please notice that the Lord doesn't answer their prayer in the way that they prayed it. They thought, here's, and this was a great prayer, right? Great prayer meeting. And uh, yet God doesn't answer their prayer the way they asked because he knew exactly what they needed and it wasn't just give us boldness. You notice what it says there in, in uh, verse 31. While they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just God help us be bold. The boldness would come because the Spirit was empowering them and enabling them to face the opposition. And so God always answers our prayers if we're in a spiritual uh, frame of mind, not based upon wanting to connect every dot and every line of what we've prayed. But they start out by praying, God, you're sovereign. And in the end, they said, your glory be that which is, is ultimately accomplished. And he honors the heart and spirit of their prayer. And so when they pray, here's what happens. First of all, there's unity. They're all together still. And God comes upon all of them with the spirit of God to now fill them enabling them to do exactly what they asked that they could do. There's true fellowship and generosity. You notice throughout the remaining parts of that prayer meeting, it talks about all that happened as a result of them in one accord coming to God and saying, we want to be your people used for your honor and glory. And he blesses them with true fellowship and generosity. Hey, First Baptist, did you notice that this also impacted the leaders in their midst because it says that Peter and John were able to go out along with other leaders in the church and with great boldness and were able to preach the word of God. You're looking forward to a new under-shepherd to come here. Why don't you start praying for him now? I know you are, but here's what you need to pray. God help them with great boldness to preach the word of God, even where they are right now, let alone. Give them good practice because we need that here in Mount Pleasant. And you need to do that every week. You know, I had a group of men in Grand Rapids, that every Sunday would gather around me and pray before I preach, and they'd stay in my study, and they'd preach for me while I was through the service, because they know me. They know that, well, this guy, you know, he's just like us. He needs God's help, and I do. And, you know, many of those men still pray for me even today. They know where, where I'm at today, and they're praying. And that's what we need. We need people who take seriously the call of God and the privilege of God to pray in his presence. There's abundant graciousness. We see that all over, including uh, what we read in the personal testimony of the man that we would know as Barnabas. At the end of this, there's, they lacked nothing. All their needs were being met. Their lives were absolutely changed. And you read that in the promise of empowerment for the church all the way through the book of Acts. When Christ's mission for the church is prayerfully engaged, God always responds with great blessing. Great blessing. I challenge you to read the rest of the book of Acts, read the New Testament letters, and even trace church history. We're focusing a lot these days on the last, the, the, the previous 500 years of church history with the Reformation. 
you look at the testimony of those who were the reformers and you realize that, again, they didn't have what we have today, but they had a strong, dynamic, spirit-led desire to bring the honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And God honored their prayers. And so if I were to give you summary observations as we close uh, this morning, as we begin to go out into our world again to share, so that we make sure that we're not in a proverbial rut when it comes to the same old, same old of ministry, here's what I would say about prayer as you look at it in the life of the early church. First of all, remember that prayer was a foundational priority. It was the basis upon which everything else was accomplished in their lives because all they knew to do was pray. And you know what? They found out that that was enough. They found out that's all they needed to do is just continually seek God's face, God's presence, and God's direction. And that's all they needed. It wasn't just a foundational priority. It was a regular priority. They didn't just have prayer days once a year. They didn't just have prayer meetings every once in a while throughout the week. It was a priority every single day in each one of their lives, whether they were gathered together corporately as a body or individually engaged in their community. It was, it was definitely a leadership priority. I'd say as you continue the interview process and when God leads a candidate here as pastor, one of the questions you need to ask isn't just how good a preacher are you or what's your preparation for preaching. Uh, You need to ask and you need to ask even the people around this person, is this this man a man of prayer? I mean, we don't want someone who's coming along with their own ideas and then kind of gets painted into a corner and us with him. We want to make sure this man has a heart after God. And he's constantly praying. Using that phrase, heart after God, that makes us think of David, doesn't it? Do you ever wonder why would a murderer, an adulterer, be someone that would be identified in Scripture by God as a man after God's own heart? Did you ever read the Psalms? David was a man of prayer. He sought after God often. And when he was in sin, his heart wasn't so hardened that God could not penetrate his heart. And that's what we want in those who lead the church. It was a shared priority. Everyone recognized that it wasn't up to the next guy or the next gal next to them, but it was their priority and it was our priority together to pray. We need to pray for this world, don't we? We need to pray for our neighbors, for our communities, for those in leadership. We need to pray for a work of God. Of all the things the church could be doing today, I think the most important priority continues to be from day one to now, the fact that we are known as praying people and that we are praying bodies, bodies of believers who pray together. And on this day of one accord prayer in our association here in the state of Michigan, my challenge to you would be, don't let it just be another one of those days, a day that we use to kind of signify something but instead make it the priority that literally transforms our lives because every day and throughout the day, we are saying, oh, sovereign God, help us to be a blessing and to bring you glory. And that's our prayer, Father, as we come into your presence even now and ask for your guidance and direction on this day. We've had a great opportunity as a body of believers to interact with our community over the weekend. 
We've met people that we've never met before, and we had just a brief touch point with them. And our heart's prayer is that we would be able to reach out to them, not just that they would come here to our building for a service, but that we would have continued touch points with them in our community so that the next time they see us on the street, they won't come up to us and say, oh, hey, I remember you. We would go up to them and say, hey, we are so grateful that God has placed you in our paths, and we want to be used of him as blessings upon you and your life. And I pray, Father, that as we seek to honor you as a local church, even in the way in which we minister, that our last thought will not be to tack on the prayer of whatever we do or whatever we decide, but that our heart's desire would be that in everything, first and foremost, we are running into the presence of our Heavenly Father, running with the encouragement and with the support of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come as as priests ourselves because of Christ before the throne of grace and say, Heavenly Father, Daddy Father, we desire your guidance. We desire your enablement. We desire your blessing in our lives. Oh God, make us different today because we are constantly in your presence, seeking your direction, desiring your glory. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen.